Welcome back to Octopulse, our Detroit News, Detroit Red Wings podcast. I'm assistant sports editor Mark Faulkner, joined by beat reporter Ted Colfin. Coming up, we'll hear from former Red Wings coach Scotty Bowman, who pays tribute to team statistician Adam Mitchell. Mitchell died a year ago after suffering from a heart attack while driving home from a Sunday night Detroit-Tampa Bay game at Little Caesars Arena. Bowman and Mike Babcock told me last week that Mitchell made a difference during those four Stanley Cups in 1997, 1998, 2002, and 2008. But first, Ted, the 20-21 Detroit Red Wings at the midway point of the season. They're 8-17-4 for 20 points, tied for second last with New Jersey, four points ahead of Buffalo. Last night, a 2-1 loss to Carolina. Only 20 hits total last night. Both teams, 20 hits, 20 blocked shots. Another good puck management game. Good, safe, high percentage plays, especially five on five. But they just don't seem to be good enough right now, are they, Ted? No, Mark. I mean, again, especially against a team like Carolina, you see the depth that that Carolina team has and just the offensive fire. Mm-hmm. Although they didn't come into play as much last night, but I will tell you one thing, Mark, regarding the rest of this season. Mm-hmm. I still think, not that they'll make a push to the playoffs, don't, don't get me wrong, there's no chance of that, but there are some teams in this division who the Wings can definitely capitalize on, get some mm-hmm. and depending on who they trade away at the deadline, I think this roster could be competitive enough where they – the win, win percentage could be a little better than it was this first half of the season, as long as they're healthy. Mm-hmm. We saw what, you know, the roster got decimated there when COVID had spread, and they've had a couple of key injuries. Obviously, the Bertuzzi injury, he's been gone for over a month now. When this roster is near full, Mark, it's it hasn't been bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, you take – that what it was COVID stretch, and this is you know just somewhat below 500 team. There are enough veterans where you know they get, there's enough skill here where they should be, you know, a better where than they are. So there's obviously not a, there hasn't been enough offensive production from certain folks, but I still think playing against the Nashvilles, maybe the Dallases, the Columbuses, there are W's out there. And it'll be just interesting to watch. I mean, how, who the ro- what the roster is going to be after the deadline. And like I said, I think they have a chance to better that record. Although, you know, I don't think it's going to be appreciably better. But mm-hmm. I think better than, than – they, they can do better than eight victories the second half of the season. Let's put it that way. Ted, you handed out your midterm grades at DetroitNews.com. Only one A, an A-, minus. For goaltender Jonathan Bernier, he has a record above 500, seven and six for a team that is 11 games under 500. He has a 2.96 goals against average and a 9.12 save percentage. Here's coach Jeff Blaschel from last night talking about Bernier, who stopped 30 of 32 shots and gave the Wings a chance to win last night's game against the Hurricanes. Jeff, the way goalies are viewed in this league has certainly evolved and changed over the years. But you guys say almost night after night, Bernier was the best player on the ice. Is he perhaps one of the most underrated net miners in the entire NHL, the way he's playing the last few years for you guys? Well, yeah, I I would say absolutely, especially since December last year, whatever it was, December 10th or whatever the date was. 
Um, I think the numbers say that, you know, I, I think, uh, and on a team that hasn't been a very good team and has lost too many games. So uh, I don't think there's any doubt, you know, he's uh, done it. Uh, it's not like uh, we've played perfect defense in front of him. He's had to make saves. Uh, you know, I think we've done a better job this year, as I've talked about, but still, um, you know, he's had to make a lot of primetime type saves and he's done a really good job with it. Ted, in those midseason grades, you talked about Bernier potentially being a valuable trade piece, possibly going back to Colorado to give Joe Sackick and the Avalanche a better shot at winning their first Stanley Cup in 20 years since way back in 2001. What do you think Steve Eisenman will do with free agency looming? I tell you, Mark, that's, that's, an int- that's going to be an interesting mm-hmm. one. Watch. I mean... I think you'd agree too. He probably arguably has been the Red Wings most viable player from about December, 2019 or so. Absolutely. And very, very good. And the way he's playing, I mean, if you put him on a Colorado or Pittsburgh or Washington, that really does upgrade their net mining. And those are three teams that come to mind that could probably use a little bit of boost. Now, I think all three of those teams have salary cap issues, so that'll be tricky, but he could become a fairly intriguing piece as the days go on to the deadline here. And I don't think, uh, yeah, I mean, that's as far as the A, the A minus or whatnot, I, <laughs> it's just in correlation to the part that he is their most valuable player. He's been their best player, Mark. I think you'd agree with that. I mean, I don't, mm-hmm. night in and night out, he's given them an excellent chance. And, the statistics that he's been able to post the post since last year, last second half of last season on a bad, bad hockey team. It's been pretty remarkable and you really got to tip your hat off to him. So yeah, it'll be interesting. I definitely think there are certain contenders out there that if you add him on, you really upgrade their roster and have a chance at a Stanley cup. Well, Ted, the Tampa Bay series getting three out of four points the other night when they won six to four, he made 40 saves, but the Stanley cup champions had 80 shots at the goal, 80 shots in 60 minutes. That was a classic game where you really thought that they were going to, the Red Wings were going to collapse again. (laughs) They have a five, two lead. Suddenly Tampa scores twice. Right. The goalie, and if I don't remember right, they had at least like one decent scoring opportunity there to tie it. Uh, no, I mean, it was pretty amazing. But again, I mean, he stands on his head. He's At this point, though, you, you kind of expect him to play very well. That's credit. Mm-hmm. So, But here's the flip side to all this, Mark. If you deal him, you have to get a goaltender back, obviously. Okay. Because... Just to hand the reins to Thomas Grice right now, obviously he hasn't played very well this season. And my prediction about maybe winning eight more than eight games the second half of the season goes right out the window. I mean, yeah, I mean, to be somewhat respectable, you have to get goaltending back because at this point, if you, Grice just is, hasn't played very well this year. But ultimately, here's the bottom line. I think they are going to resign Bernier here before the deadline. I wouldn't be mm-hmm. surprised at all. He seems to like it here. And where are you going to go to up to to upgrade that position? I mean, I think Bernier, at least for now, is about as good as you're going to get. Ted, let's hear now from Vladislav Nemesnikov. You gave the Russian center a C plus, the same 
a grade, by the way, as Steve Eiserman, a C plus. Last night, Nemesnikov led the Red Wings forwards again in the hustle and compete level categories, hits and blocked shots. He had two hits and one blocked shot. Here you are asking Nemesnikov about the trade deadline coming up on April the 12th. How difficult is it to uh, adjust to a new team? I mean, obviously, you've had some experience with that the last couple of years, but just coming over here, how big a I mean, does it take time to adjust to a new team and just learn, this, you know, the, everything around it, the schemes and whatnot? Um, I think mostly it's just the the way the team plays. Um, I knew all the guys coming in, so that wasn't a problem. Yeah. I've, I skated with them all summer, so it wasn't uh, – they, they kind of welcomed me with open arms, so it wasn't that. It's just, uh, you know, getting out there and, and feeling out the systems and then getting used to all that stuff. How nice is it knowing that you're probably, you know, very likely to be staying here for a while? I mean, you don't have to worry about the trade deadline or anything like that. Is that big relief for a player? Um, I try not to think about it ever. So, I mean, I kind of take it day by day and focus on, on the game. That part's out of our control. So, um, as I said, just focus on, on playing and, and doing the best you can for the team. Ted, we'll talk about the trade deadline coming up, of course. April 12th is the deadline. But what are your first thoughts? We talked about Bernier. Nemesnikov would like to stay in Detroit, but he would be. Well, I think he will, too. He's got a two-year contract. Uh, he, he misunderstood my question. It's like for a change, he's actually not on the trading block and doesn't appear to be going anywhere. So that's got to be a comfort for him after being on three teams last year. But, no, you got your Bernier, you got Mark. Mm-hmm. And they have a slew of players, Mark. I mean, Mark Stahl, uh, John Merrill. You got Luke Glendening, who could very be an intriguing target. Vegan mm-hmm. faceoff percentage. Bobby Ryan's going to be an option, also, obviously. So they have a lot of areas they can go go with here. Um, we'll see who stays and who goes ultimately. Time now, Ted, for our interview. Today's interview is with nine-time Stanley Cup champion Scotty Bowman. Joining us now is nine-time Stanley Cup champion Scotty Bowman, the winningest coach in NHL history and the winner of three of those nine cups right here in Detroit. Welcome to the podcast, Scotty. A year ago on Monday, March the 8th, 2020, a good friend of yours and hockey colleague, Adam Mitchell, died of a heart attack while driving home from a Red Wings Tampa Bay game at Little Caesars Arena. I was there for that Red Wings game, a Sunday night, 5 p.m. start, and I said hi to Adam, who sat down, Scotty, at the far end of the press box. We had been acquaintances off and on for nearly all of his 36 years with the Red Wings. Yesterday, Adam's wife, Rosemary, told me she would always call Adam or text him Before he was leaving the rink, she would ask, where are you now? And he would always say, eventually, I'm in the driveway now. Scotty, what do you remember most about Adam Mitchell, who served for the Red Wings for nearly four decades in various capacities, including his role as a team statistician on your coaching staff? Well, when I, Mark, when I got to uh, Detroit in 1993, Mm -hmm. uh, I think Adam had served before me, I think, for about three coaches. Uh, at that time, it was uh, uh, Brian Murray and then uh, uh, Jacques Demers. So I, um, you know, I was introduced to him and uh, said, "This is a gentleman that can do any of the any of the stats you you want." Or every coach is different, and uh, sure. so at that time they were uh, 
the league was just take, uh, putting out ice time. Uh, they recorded the ice times for all the players. And uh, okay. oddly enough, oddly enough, one of the early games, uh, the players would get the sheets after the game and they would be looking. The first thing they'd look at is their ice time. <laughs> and of course, in Detroit, we had so many great players. And uh, uh, it was really strange because uh, uh, Sergei Fedorov was just like a horse. He could play. He probably could have played 25 minutes, but his target was always around 20. And, of course, you know, we had Steve Eiserman and we had, uh, later on, we had Igor Larionov and Chris Draper. So sure. we were pretty strong down the middle. But anyways, I, um, I asked Adam, I said uh, a couple of games uh, later, what about, you know, would, would you, you, you do the, a lot of different stats for different coaches. What about the ice time? So. I'm not sure if that's when he started doing nice times, but he 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 worked with the coaches previously, and whatever they wanted, uh, you know. And I know later on I can tell you about what what he did for Mike Babcock, but I I I wanted to uh, check on players back checking, and I also wanted to check on uh, the ice time, and that was crucial because uh, a lot of times the NHL uh, ice times were were uh, they weren't correct. And uh, Adam would come in after the game, and I was able to say to those players, hey, wait a minute now, I got down here 20 minutes, they only have 17. <laughs> but um, he, he'd very faithfully come, and then in the playoffs, uh, we started to bring Adam with us uh, because uh, it was important, uh, you know, to, um, to, to have uh, as much stats as we have. And uh, I don't know, uh, but I, I don't, I think what Adam... Adam, the problem is uh, he, uh, you know, he would he, he used to take off school uh, and uh, he was a counselor and a guidance counselor and uh, uh, but he was able to work it out and he enjoyed those trips, especially in the playoffs. And uh, he was uh, even when we went on the West Coast, sometimes he would come with us and uh, he was a wonderful man. He was dedicated to his family. He was dedicated to the Red Wings and. Uh, I became very close to him, and uh, a couple of other stories I could give you about Adam that people might not know, but my, my wife was living in Buffalo most of those times. My kids were still in high school, mm -hmm. and uh, I remember one time we had a, a crisis with uh, her vehicle. Uh, the, uh, the windshield cracked on the way up, I think it was, and uh, I had to take, she had to take it back to uh, Buffalo, uh, and we were worried about it. Mm -hmm. So Adam, like he is, he volunteered. He said, uh, you know, if I can get back uh, from Buffalo, I'll, I'd like to drive it for her. So anytime we needed anything of a family nature, he was always there. You know, he was a wonderful host and uh, very proud of his son, Dave. We used to talk about the, the high school teams that were coaching. And, uh, you know, he was up to date on all the minor hockey people. And uh, I, I just had a wonderful time. I was totally shocked as everyone was and uh, never got a chance to really uh, spend much time with him the last few years because I would be down in Florida and of course mm -hmm. uh, you know he'd be up in Detroit but uh, yeah it was a, he's a, just a dedicated person his, his school I can imagine being such a, a wonderful person how how, 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 uh, how many fires he would have put out at school with when you're a guidance counselor and you you get to know the students, and uh, yes, he was he was gone far too uh, early uh, in his time for sure. 
Scotty, that last Sunday last year, earlier in the day, Rosemary said she kissed Adam goodbye as he was driving down to Little Caesars. A few hours later, the Livonia police knocked on the door and delivered the bad news. Adam had a heart attack while driving. He died at Detroit Receiving Hospital. He was 74. They'd been married for 52 years. Their first date was in May 1965. Rosemary was 17 years old. What can you tell us a bit about their marriage? You sort of referred to that, Scotty, how they became friends with you and your wife, Suella. And Rosemary says that Adam would always ask about your children, especially David. Can you tell us a bit about their marriage and what you learned from Adam and Rosemary? Yes, uh, we we became very good friends and uh, my wife has kept up. Uh, she calls Rosemary. Uh, she actually called her a couple of days ago to, to send her grievances once more, once more to, to Rosemary. And she did explain that she and Adam will go back to the time she was 17 years of age. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, David was always a very caring person. And my, my handicapped son, he would be lighting candles for him every time he had to have surgery or, uh, you know, he was, that would be the first questions. If I hadn't seen him for a little bit, how's David? How's David? That was always yes, his question. He was always wanting to know about him. And, uh, you know, he, he is a, a you're never going to see a, a person as caring as, as Adam was. And he was so proficient in his job that, uh, you know, his school job. But then when he went with the Red Wings, and whatever we wanted him to, to chart, he would say, I'll, I'll give it a shot. And sure enough, of course, his shot was always pretty right on, on, <laughs> on the mark. And uh, after I uh, left and Mike Babcock took over, he, he, he wanted different stats and uh, he could adjust to any coach. Mm-hmm. But he was, he was a wonderful uh, hockey man too because, you know, uh, watching the games, uh, it's a different, it's not like a fan just sitting there. He, he was busy. I mean, he, imagine keeping ice time for... Uh, six players on the ice sometimes, uh, you know, the, with the goalie and, uh, and the defense pairings. And his, his accuracy was impeccable. And uh, he was a wonderful aid to myself and uh, my family. And uh, just the fact that I, I, I left uh, Detroit and uh, went on to uh, help my son in Chicago. Mm-hmm. He still kept up uh, friendship. And uh, that was a wonderful friendship that I'll always have. Scotty, I first met Adam in the 1984-85 season when Nick Polano gave Adam the responsibility of charting different stats, as you were saying, for the hockey Mm -hmm. staff. In fact, I first met Nick Polano a few years earlier, Scotty, at Joe Louis Arena when he served as an assistant coach with you with the Sabres in 81-82. In fact, when Nick was fired by the Wings and replaced by Harry Neal in 1985, Nick asked me for a cassette of my interview with Jacques Demers, who praised Nick for his work behind the bench. And back then, Nick said he used that cassette as part of his resume. That was a long time ago. You talked about some of the stats, especially the ice time. But what other things, what other stats did you find uh, really helpful and, and may have played a role in the success of your coaching staff, Scotty? Well, we, I wanted to know about turnovers. I wanted to know okay. uh, when we lost the puck, uh, at either blue line, uh, that seemed to be a stat that a lot of people wanted, and I did. I wanted it as well. That uh, if a player made a careless play at the offensive blue line, uh, Adam would chart it, and uh, we had a special way of putting it down. And uh, he would just give me that sheet at, effort, at the end of every game. 
he'd be right down to the dressing room. That was the first things I would look at. And, and also tracking players. Uh, if we had a four check and uh, we had a system where we would, we had the left wing lock system. So he would chart if, if we didn't do what we were supposed to do. He knew our system backwards. And, uh, you know, like we had a system where we always wanted one forward to be taking the, one, uh, the left lane and then the, the left defense would move over and take the middle lane. Right defense would take the right lane. If one of our forwards was supposed to be in the left lane and for some reason he wasn't there, it would be marked down and I'd have that. So I had about three. The three most important ones were that one, okay. the turnovers at the blue line, and, of course, the ice times. And, uh, you know, if, if, and if I had a new player or we had somebody coming up, uh, he would, I'd say, I want to look at this player. Is he, uh, what's happening? The other, the other uh, uh, statistic that we started, it's sort of like analytics today, but is when our defensemen, we used to use it with the defensemen, when they got to the puck okay. uh, in a situation, he would have to judge if he's under a lot of pressure or just he had a lot of time. What happened to the puck after our defenseman uh, made the next play? Did we keep the puck? Or did it? Uh, was it, uh, if you were shorthanded, did he get it all the way down the ice? Or if, or if it were, it weren't, we were playing even strength and the defenseman made a play and uh, we he used to do percentages and uh, <laughs> it was it was awesome how he could do it so quickly yeah. he, had, he had a good math idea but nick lidstrom's chart was unbelievable uh, i i always recall that when nick lidstrom got the puck under any kind of situation his next play we usually kept it so that was a big stat to be able to okay. make a comparison with other players on our team and uh, it was quite a meaningful stat because you know he was such a great passer, and he was, and he and he didn't take chances, and uh, he was always in the ninety percent range. Uh, you know, imagine gets gets the puck ten times, and nine times you keep it, and that's the way it was. Scotty, just two more questions. I had been invited to one of Adam's hockey parties at George's Coney Island in Northville just months before he died. George and Adam were friends. You're friends with George. A kind, yeah. gentle soul who built relationships with Gordie Howe and Ernie Harwell. Can you talk about how those friendships with people in our community are important to coaches who are under enormous pressure to win? You had, you had in the regular season, Scotty, 1,244 wins, 223 playoff wins, Cups in Detroit, 1997, 1998, 2002. Brendan Shanahan said they wanted to get to know you better, but coaches have to keep their distance. So could you talk about some of these friendships with these other people? How important are those friendships? Well, very important, uh, you know, because Adam was that type of person. He was a people person. He mm -hmm. couldn't, I mean, anytime he met somebody, uh, you know, he always had a smile on his face and he was, he was always positive. And uh, I remember at one time when I was going through Detroit, later on even, uh, he would insist, look, you have to come. You have to come and have dinner with us. We're going to go to George's. And that was his best friend. And, <laughs> and you know, and, and Adam would always be worried about me. Like, I was in Detroit a lot of times myself. And he would, he would say to me, look, uh, why don't we do this? Why don't we do that for dinner? And I'd say, Adam, I will do it. But on my own time, I got, I have to, <laughs> I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And, uh, you know, he, he, I'm not trying to put you down, but I just want to, I need a little. I need a little space. You know, we we got along very well. So 
he, he had me charted pretty well. He knew when I had enough time, I could have a good dinner. And uh, he knew all the good spots that I could go to as well. So I kept up. He was my contact person in Detroit being, you know, being alone a lot of the times because, you sure. know, like you leave the rink and uh, you go back to your place. And I usually had a little, uh, I didn't have a big house or anything like that because I was big enough when my, when my wife would, would come up from uh, Buffalo. And any time I needed something and then she needed something, Adam was always there. So we were really fortunate to have him. Uh, I, I couldn't have uh, had a time in Detroit without him. Uh, because like you mentioned, with the players, they have their teammates. It's a sure, lot different yeah. than your coach and uh, your coaching staff has their own family. So Adam was an extension of my family. No question about that. And finally, Scotty, a different hockey question tying into that previous point about the pressure on Jeff Blaschel now in his sixth season, the third most tenured coach in the NHL behind John Cooper and Paul Maurice. What is that like, Scotty? He wasn't hired by Steve Eiserman, but Steve Eiserman praises Blaschel for the progress of the young players. The team five on five is actually doing quite well. What's it like when you're on the hot seat, though, 24-7? Well, it's a tough job. Your job is always, unfortunately, in the standings. And he's been a victim of, of a big rebuild. Mm -hmm. You know, when you lose your star players, it, people, it's not a, there's no a, a switch that you can just turn on and say, we want to get more players. It's so tough today because, uh, you know, you've got contracts that uh, the, the Red Wings have put themselves in a pretty good spot of late. And mm -hmm. I, I know for a fact that both Steve Eiserman and I, I do know Jimmy Devolano, they know that they have not been able to, you know, reach the pinnacle of getting the right talent. And I, I think that's the reason. It's not easy to be a coach, but he's, he's certainly done what he, what he could do with his team, trying to develop the young players and, and trying to keep it on an even keel, it's not easy. And uh, I, I, I imagine that the team has made it made some improvements this year. They added some more players, and mm -hmm. they're gonna. These are like sort of a patch right now because, uh, as you know, they've drafted some really good players in the last two years, but they're not ready to play. And that's one thing that uh, Steve has learned uh, through the years that you don't develop players in the NHL very easily if they're young. You have to give them time and space. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's not easy for the coach. He's anxious to get those players into the lineup. But at the same time, they have to learn their, their craft in a, in a minor, minor capacity, minor league. Scotty, thanks again for your time today and talking about your dear friend, Adam Mitchell, who I believe people will know a lot better after this podcast. And after the story, we're writing about Adam's hockey legacy, his kindness, and his humanity. Thanks again, Scotty. Oh, you're very welcome, Mark, and it's great memories and uh, a real big loss for a lot of people. Thank you so much. Ted, Scotty just mentioned how Jeff Blaschel is sort of a victim of the rebuild, that the good players are coming, but we don't know who's going to be behind the bench when the Lucas Raymonds and the Mo Siders come to Detroit. You gave Blaschel a C. You said given what he has to work with, he's gotten as much out of this roster as possible. You said they're more competitive, yes, game to game, unlike last season. You said, man, the struggles have hurt and the special teams have been largely ineffective again. And you said with Blaschel in the last year of his contract, the future is definitely cloudy. What's the latest heading into that second half of the season? If they do improve, Ted, like you said right off the podcast, if they get more than eight wins, their percentages are better and they're still competing, would it not be hard not to bring Jeff Blaschel back? 
Mac, I totally agree. I mean, I think he's, in essence, the second half of the season, I think he's coaching for his Red Wings career, at least. Mm-hmm. I think there is a path there if they showed improvement, if the young players keep improving. I mean, let's face it, the last couple of years here, again, we, I think we've talked about this often. You could put the reincarnation of Scotty Bowman, Bill Bellamy. <laughs> Sparky Anderson and Red Auerbach combine all four of them, and I don't think you'd get you'd there would be a recipe for success there. I mean, those rosters have been just non NHL competitive, but I mean, let's see what can he do, what he can do with a roster with some promising talent. And yeah, I mean, I think he's like he's we started here, I think he is coaching for his Red Wings career. and if he if this team posts a decent record, and if some of the young players continue to show progress, mm-hmm. I think there's an opportunity there to he he stays on for another year or two, which may frustrate some fans, but <laughs> I think there's a chance there for sure. So that'll do it then for today's podcast, episode 47. You can also check us out on our Octopals Facebook page, and you'll always find us on Twitter, Instagram, Instagram, Stories, and Snapchat. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll talk soon. <laughs>